Hello, hello. Get ready for a journey through time with the Historians podcast, hosted by myself, Derek Mulligan, and my co-historian, Neil Federson-Hall. We invite you into our virtual living room for weekly fireside chats with world-renowned historians and authors. From ancient history to present day, the Historians covers it all with guests who have lived and experienced the stories they share. Join myself and Neil as we whiz back and forth through time, exploring the truth behind historical events that turn out to be way stranger and more exciting than fiction. So grab a cuppa and get ready to be transported to another time and place. Tune in now to join our history-loving community. Here we go. Well, 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 hello, Neil. Welcome to another episode of The Historians. And you've been traveling just fresh back off your trip to uh, Zululand. Zululand, indeed. Yeah, just to go and see what happened there in Rourke's Drift and all the other places. In an eight-hour country road drive, was it? Um, that would be putting it kindly. Um, okay. I think about okay. County Kerry in nineteen in the nineteen seventies in terms of potholes. Right. Um, so <laughs> Google Maps. Google Maps will show you. Oh, it's only a four-hour drive, and then it would be uh, seven hours later. You're going. Right. Okay. 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 There you there. <laughs> That's well, uh, certainly interesting, but that's a conversation for another time. Certainly for, for another day. Yeah. So this evening, um, okay. we were speaking yeah. with Mark Blake, who is the leading light on the band Pink Floyd and all that surrounds them. Uh, he is about the uh, the only character in the room who will speak about uh, the said band because they don't do much of that themselves these days. But um, <laughs> Mark has written a couple of books, and his latest is called Us and Them, and it is about hypnosis uh, spelled h-i-p-g-n-o-s-i-s and these are the guys behind the famous artwork on the pink floyd's album covers and it's an amazing story to tell really and the, the reviews are pretty good for this book so it, it's definitely one for those uh, you know those those rock guys like ourselves we don't do enough of this on, on the historian so i'm delighted that this is actually our first foray into this the shit we love you know so uh welcome mark blake hi there good to be here welcome aboard this book now as far as i know you you wrote a book um on pink floyd back in 2006 which is when you would have first tried to contact storm thorgerson and aubrey powell who are the two guys behind hypnosis is that correct yeah that's right yeah i mean i knew who they were by reputation i mean they did all the, they did a lot of covers for pink floyd including dark side the moon but also paul mccartney um led zeppelin Black Sabbath, uh, all sorts of bands as well. So I, I knew their stuff growing up, just seeing the names on record covers. But yes, I interviewed them both. I think it would have been around 2006 for a book I was writing about Pink Floyd. And uh, they both made an impression on me for for different reasons, <laughs> really. Yeah, <laughs> They made life hard on you, didn't they? Well, Storm did. Yeah, Poe didn't, but Storm did. But Storm was a famously difficult character, but I knew this anyway. So you had to sort of jump through hoops for Storm, but you you learned to just go with it. And only t you, you took the shit so far and then you'd have to put your foot down. But it wasn't, it was just his chaotic way of working, you know. Poe, on the other hand, very charming, very, very smooth, 
everything happened when it was meant to happen. And you got an in, I got an insight then into how they worked when they had been hypnosis in the 70s and early 80s. I think the thing with uh, Poe was, well, he, he dropped out of school, didn't he? he was, uh, so he was always going to probably the, the rebel, the bit of a smoother salesperson kind of, he, I mean, he met Pink Floyd, or sorry, not Pink, uh, Sid Barrett out of Pink Floyd um, uh, on a stall in Cambridge. I think so. Yeah. I mean, they both grew, I should explain, they both grew up in Cambridge and they're both at school in Cambridge, different schools. Storm was was at a grammar school with Sid Barrett and Roger Waters. He used to play on the rugby team with Roger Waters at Pink Floyd. I also knew David Gilmore, who was a bit younger than them, just from being around Cambridge. Poe was at this sort of uh, private, expensive sort of private school. His parents were in the Middle East. His father was in the military. And they just sort of put him in there when he was about eight years old. And they kicked him out when he was 16. I didn't quite get to the bottom of what he'd done. He told me it was slamming the art room door. But you don't get expelled for slamming an art room door, even even in the early 60s. So he's 16. He's out. He's dumped outside the school and, and now told to sort of make his own way in life. So he ends up living in this house of sort of ill repute, I think. It was sort of a dodgy place where a lot of kind of beatniks and dropouts went. It was around the corner from Storm's place. But yeah, at one point he had a market store. And and I know he met, I think he met Sid Barrett through around that time, definitely. So yeah, but I mean, so they were both very independent guys. Storm's father had disappeared, left the family home. He lived with his mum, who was an artist. She was a teacher, pottery teacher, artist. And he just sort of had the run of the place. So this is like the early 60s. So it's it's it was unusual, I think, at the time. When I spoke to their friends, they said that, you know, Storm had a lot of freedom that they didn't have. It was a more unconventional sort of upbringing. And Poe is just this sort of waif and stray that, that sort of lands up on his doorstep and they become friends. Okay, cool. And there was a certain album that kind of kickstarted the whole thing, wasn't it? That kind of gave me the inspiration as to what could be done with uh, with an album cover. Yeah, I think so. I think it was Sgt. Pepper for the Beatles, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, which was designed by Peter Blake, who'd uh, been at the Royal College of Art. And at the time, Storm and Poe had moved to London. Storm was at the Royal College of Art studying film. And Poe was just hanging around there, really. I mean, he was set designing for the BBC for a little while till the way sort of set designers kicked him out because they realised he, he was underqualified. But he managed to blag it for a few for a few months and sort of, you know, painting shop fronts on Z cars and shows like that. So they end up with Sergeant Pepper was the one because I think it was different. It wasn't just a bog standard photo of a band on the cover. They'd done this piece of sculpture with all these other characters in Laurel and Hardy, Marilyn Monroe. It was really interesting and different for 1967. And I think, yeah, I think that based on what they both told me, that was a tipping point. They thought, well, we we could do record covers if we can do things that are more exciting than just shoving a picture of a band on there. Did Sid Barrett introduce Poe to the wonders of LSD? I don't know that he did, actually. I'm not sure who did. Poe couldn't remember. Right. He told me he'd taken LSD and he imagined a salmon coming out of a wall (laughs) in somebody's house. some, some Some student he went to visit. But he couldn't remember. I mean, this is another thing. They were all experimenting very early on with this stuff. I mean, LSD... That was quite a serious road to go down, experiment with LSD when they were sort of relatively young teenagers. But I think being in Cambridge, big university town, 
stuff, ideas and things were coming in there quicker than they might do if they were living in a little village somewhere. And, and I do think that that has sort of had a bearing on it. I know Storm together, Steve Sibara, um, they were all experimenting with it, but some of them liked it more than others. And it was, a, I mean, this is something I do get into in the, in the book for all the jokes about how oh, I'm tripping and I'm, there's a salmon coming out of the wall. There's there's a serious side to it as well, because I, I, you know, I think by the end of the 60s, some of them, including Sid Barrett, were quite damaged by by that experience. Mm. And Poe Poe said he was himself. Everyone was a little bit frayed at the edges, I think, by the end of the decade. <laughs> no wonder if, if that was your, your drug of choice and what we know. Yeah. Now. I mean, you know, like you the word you use there, Mark, experimentation. I mean, you know, the results weren't in at the time. Um, no, no. What this could how it would manifest then in, in later years. I mean, sure, Absolutely. a lot more aware of the dangers now. But I suppose then it was all a bit more playful and a bit more innocent, right? I think it was innocent, but it was also more serious in a way. It was the idea was you had this experience. You put the music on. You took you took a tab. You listened to the music. You or you watched the film. There's a story of Storm. Storm went to see 2001: A Space Odyssey on on LSD, which must have been mind blowing experience. You know, it, it's quite a profound film at that time anyway never mind when you were in a heightened sort of state of consciousness but there was a serious side to it there was this idea that you were going to break break on through to the other side to quote the doors i mean they used to listen to that door song the idea was you're going to expand your mind and find a higher level of consciousness now for me at being you know much younger you know, by the time I started mucking about like that, it was like, hey, let's take this and be off our heads. There, there wasn't this profound thing about it. You know, I found it intimidating and I thought, I don't really want to do that again. Mm. don't like being out of control. But, you know, and I think a lot of them felt that way as well, but they still did it. There was, it was something in the air, wasn't it? It was the 60s. Yeah. I mean, you spoke to Harry Shapiro, or I know, for mm. one yeah. of your podcasts. I'm sure Harry would know far more about this at that time than I would. But, you know, that was, there was something in the air at the time and it probably seems very silly and naive now, but back then it was, they thought they could change the world. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And in a way they did, you know, in a way like with those like, iconic art that was produced during that time. Well, that's it. Yeah. I think a lot of that, I know that a lot of that did feed into Storm's thinking. Some of those sleeves were influenced by, an LSD experience, but probably not to the extent that people like to think it was. Yeah, so tell, where, where was it? The um, the dark side of the moon, obviously, probably the, the mm. most famous one of all. And um, that was out of a, a textbook, um, an American school textbook. So they've told people over the years different stories about how they had the dark side of the moon cover. One of the things was that Storm had seen a piece, has seen sunlight going through a revolving glass door and got this inspiration. But actually, it was a physics textbook that they happened to have a copy of. They kept copies of all sorts of books just for ideas. And it's called The Wonder Book of Light and Colour. And it had how to make a rainbow. And it showed you the, a diagram of it. And that's pretty much what they put on the cover of Dark Side the Moon. They just got a fantastic illustrator called George Hardy, who worked with them on lots of covers. And George painted it or drew it rather and made it look very beautiful and, and mystical and they sold it to Pink Floyd. And I, I don't think either of them were that keen on the cover, but the band absolutely loved it. But Storm was quite grumpy about 
it because you know he'd come up with other ideas that had been dismissed um you know so he was i think he was a bit pissed right. off what, what they didn't want to do was work for record labels they specifically wanted to work with artists only yes and artists, I think bands liked them because they saw them as artists like them. I mean, they'd have terrible rows with musicians, but at the same time, musicians sort of respected them because they saw them as fellow artists. Record companies hated them, absolutely hated them, because this stuff was normally done in-house. I mean, you imagine turning up, EMI Records was an institution. People wore, you know, brown coats in the studio. You know, you suddenly got these two, like, hippies turning up, going, oh, here's your cover, and it's like, who, who do you think you are? You know, it's, it's that's how it, that's how it was then. But the bands like them. I mean, Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin, he didn't get on with them at all. He didn't get on with Storm at all. He didn't want to deal with Storm, but he still kind of respected the artistry. I think if he saw them being difficult and giving record companies a bad time, they could relate to that. You know, that mm. was because that was the musicians' take on it. They, you know, it was us versus the man, wasn't it? The, the other side as well, what they did like to do again with 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 some of you know taking art to uh, a level with the record companies insofar as location shooting. Well, this is very- uh, yeah. I mean, it is extraordinary because they were the first people to get a record company to pay for them to go to a location and photograph a cover. And in the first case, it was for a band called The Nice that was sort of around in the late 60s, early 70s. Had Keith Emerson, who ended up in Emerson, Lake and Palmer, who were huge for a little while. And they just said they wanted to go to the Sahara Desert to photograph footballs, red footballs in the Sahara Desert. And they got the record company agreed to do it. Instead of saying, well, you could do it at Canberra Sands or Brighton Beach, they were like, no, it has to be the Sahara because it's got these specific dunes. It's somewhere in Morocco. And they paid for them to do this and nobody had done that before they created a piece of land art i mean it's a great cover it's a far better cover the record's dreadful but it's like you know it looks fantastic and in 1971 it was like no one's seen anything like this before and the fact is they did it for real that's the whole thing all the way through the career because the technology wasn't there to do you couldn't have photoshop you had to go out and do it do it for real yeah. And it's extraordinary how they managed to sort of get these get money from record companies to do these things. You know, it's a, yeah. it really is a bygone age, totally. There's no budget for anything now. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So were, were these guys like groundbreakers then? Yes, very much so. Absolutely. Like, there was before them and then it was after them. It's before then and then it was after. Yeah, 100%. Because... Mm-hmm. And it is, it Storm was the ideas guy a lot of the time. Not all of the time. Storm was the artistic guy. He was the artist. But he, he couldn't draw. He couldn't paint. Um, Poe was the photographer, self-taught photographer. And Poe was the money. But, I mean, it's, it was more complex than that, really, because later on Poe had a lot of these ideas because he was the one doing more location stuff than Storm. But, yeah, it was groundbreaking. And, of course, once you've done covers for Paul McCartney, Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd, all in one year, all hit album, you've got everyone else knocking on your door because they think you've got the magic touch. So they then started doing fantastic covers, but for lots of sort of lesser bands in some cases, which is when you get the kind of the covers more interesting than Mm -hmm. the record in some cases, as I discovered buying these records 
in the pre-internet in the pre-internet age. <laughs> that, that's what I wanted to ask you. I mean, did they yeah. have a touch? Did 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 they actually have a factor in in albums being bought off the yes, shelf? Otherwise, would have remained on there with the dust gathering. Only they did. It was never an exact science. I mean, there was a survey in 1982. I think it was Columbia Records did a survey and, and reckoned that. I can't remember what the figure was. It was something like they reckon that 20% of a, of a record sales, good or bad, was dependent on the cover. How they got that figure, I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. It, it, it definitely had a, played a part in it, especially if you think there were, le- there were fewer radio stations, fewer television stations, okay. no internet. And half these bands like Pink Floyd and Led Zeppelin didn't do singles. So yeah. it's like they created an image, especially for Pink Floyd. I mean, as a kid, it's like, well... As a young teenager, when I saw Dark Side of the Moon in a record, someone's record collection, I wanted to listen to it because of the cover. Yeah. I couldn't believe the audacity of, of not having a name or anything. And so mm. immediately I'm hooked. It's a great piece of marketing, but like you say, no one could ever quite work out what, what the balance what the balance was. No. Well, that's interesting because I remember like being very young, like before mm-hmm. I even got into my own musical taste, but seeing my parents' record collection. Mm. You know, and they weren't as far out to be listening to Pink Floyd, perhaps. But it was the it was the imagery uh, on the album covers that would capture your imagination as a kid, and you yes. know that kind of interest. You had no idea what the music was about, or barely knew what a record was at that stage. But the artwork itself was quite extraordinary, wasn't it? Yeah, like, same here. Exactly the same here. And it was, you know, again, it wasn't my parents weren't didn't have Pink Floyd records, but, it, it, mm-hmm. you know, it was everything. It was all this other stuff. It, it was the gateway, wasn't it, really, to, to, to what the music was? Oh, 100%. And, like, you know, one just springs to mind, obviously, is, is the one, you know, I'm not a big Pink Floyd fan, but obviously beware of the image. You know the one with Battersea? Park? with, with the Animal Station, yeah, Animals, yeah. yes. Yeah, yeah. Animals so, like, animals. so... I was in London yonks ago and I happened to be in that part of town and I didn't know I was there. You know, I, I, I wasn't there for that reason. I happened to be come, walking down the street and there it was, you know, right. Yes. The and yeah. the first, even though I wouldn't know much about that album, you guys had to prompt me with the name. Um, there it was. And I was like, looking at which pillar was the pig beside, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. The ch- really that's like, right. Yeah. I mean, that was the same with me. I mean, I remember seeing that album in, uh, in Woolworths, you know, on a, on a stand, and 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 I didn't know what it sounded like, but it, I was fascinated by. It. And I grew up in London, and mm. I would get a train. I can remember being on a train as a very small kid, going to visit grandparents in South London, and seeing the power station. The yeah. Power station, I think, is a very imposing-looking building. Yeah. It looks fantastic on the cover of that album, with or without yeah. the pig floating around. <laughs> you, know, so, you know, so for me, it sort of triggers something because I was in London, I knew what that was. Yeah. I couldn't get my head around. Well, I mean, I was older by then, but like, what, what's this? I have to listen to this record that's got a pig flying over there. It's it, immediately I'm, I'm involved. Yeah. And that's yeah. the power of a great, a great cover. I think. hundred percent. And again, excuse my ignorance, but the, the imagery of the, the two men shaking hands. Yeah. I yeah, wish you were here. Wish you were here. Yeah. I'm absolutely probably one of their biggest ones. Yeah. Really shown my ignorance. Do you know the background yeah. to that, then, Mark? Yeah. Well, there they did. They yeah. they photographed that on a, a film lot in Hollywood or a Burbank, I think, in California. And the guy, they got two two guys shaking hands. They're both stuntmen, um, and they set one of them on fire. The guy called Ronnie Rondell, and I don't know if you remember, there was a a huge 
blockbuster disaster movie in the 70s called the towering inferno oh yeah yeah which, I I, that. that's another movie that made a big impression on me as a kid yeah queen steve mcqueen was paul newman in it as well steve mcqueen's definitely in it classic building catches fire and they got a film out there. and and yeah. and ronnie rondell was one of the stuntmen in it oh. and he caught fire he they, they set him on fire with flammable liquid and so on he had his team around him and while they were filming it, Poe was photographing and he suddenly got a little gust of wind. And I've seen the photos, the outtakes that were sort of two seconds after the cover mm-hmm. where the, the the flame whips around his face. And, you know, you then see him being, you know, covered in fire blankets and a fire extinguisher. Poe wow. carried on taking pictures. He didn't stop because he wanted to make sure. Of course. He got the shot. But I think what, you know, that was for cover that was for cover in 1975. But again, that's another one which I saw and thought, what does this sound like? And it's interesting just to jump forward a bit, but when Storm Thorgerson died in 2013, the following day in the Times and the Guardian newspapers both had political cartoons that used Pink Floyd's imagery. In one of them, they'd used the Dark Side of the Moon on one, and the other one had Gordon, Gordon Brown and Tony Blair that dates it shaking hands and one of them was wow. on fire so it just it shows it's how it seeped into the psyche that they had the confidence to do that even to people like you say you know you didn't know they maybe never heard wish you were here but they kind of knew what yeah. that cover what that cover meant and i mean i remember that stayed with me at the time thinking well this is bigger than a record sleeve you know people just know it that don't know the music mm, yeah, yeah. And, and, and helped with the reselling to each new generation as well absolutely like Emerson Lake and Palmer had amazing album covers in a very more slightly more art, art you know artistic way and sets of drawings and stuff. But you don't mm. rem- remember them quite as well as you do. No, Floyd, no, they had H.R. You know. Geiger did a cover, the guy that did all the mm-hmm. aliens the film stuff, didn't he? All the, the sets. Yeah, Tarkus uh, Tarkus springs to mind that album cover is that was in some fact, sort of tank armadillo. That's thing. right. There you go. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 I actually have, have, just, have, a cop, I have that on vinyl, actually, funny enough. There you go. We've got to, haven't you? You can't have it <laughs> yeah. on a CD. You need the full armadillo. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just wondering, Mark, out of curiosity, outside of the books that you worked on, are you familiar with loads of album covers that we could just yes, probably mention? Yeah, because yeah, I, I, well, I worked on music magazines for years. So, yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of covers I've, I've come across over the years. Not, it's not just these guys. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's a broader focus than just them, but... <laughs> Yeah. Is, is yeah. there any particular favourite that jumps out for you personally? Um, well, like, of hypno- well, of hypnosis or just generally? Yeah. 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 With hypnosis, I think, well, I think you mentioned Wish You Were Here, Animals I Like Because of the Power Station. Mm-hmm. There's a cover they did for Led Zeppelin for an album called Presence, which has got all these photographs of, so they took them out of National Geographic or Life magazine from the 50s. They're like family scenes, people sitting around the table, people playing golf. And there's this sort of mysterious, slightly phallic looking black object that they've placed in each of these pictures, which is just so peculiar. And it just Mm. doesn't have anything to do with a heavy rock band. If you think what Black Sabbath were doing covers with demons flying around the dying man's bed or something like that. (laughs) a witch going through a graveyard. I like the fact that they've got this cover that's got nothing to do. It's not sex and drugs and the devil. It's something really just peculiar. And again, it's a, it's a cover I looked at and thought, you know, what the hell is this? What does this mean? 
I don't know if I like it even, but it, now it's intrinsically mixed up with the music. I, I associate it with the with the music on that record. And of, and of course, like you know, some some probably going off subject a little bit. Well, we're still same staying on the subject, but you know, some bands developed like such iconic artwork that followed them through their careers that the artwork itself developed the character. I'm thinking off the top of my head of Iron Maiden in particular. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, right and, from the get go, wasn't it? Right from Derek the Riggs. yeah, Derek Riggs and was there. Derek, that's right, and like that character followed them like on every single cover. From it's an amazing from piece of marketing. I mean, I, yeah, I, I remember seeing I, I saw I made when I was fifteen. They played the local university near to where I lived, and they, so it was small then. And at the, t- at the time, I think they'd only had the first album out, and they just had this little head, yeah, head Eddie BS, yeah. It just sort of a bit at one point <laughs> smoke came out of his eyes. It's like school production, like it's yeah. so amateur dramatics. Yeah. But I was 15. I went, oh, this is exciting. But <laughs> amazing. It's amazing to see how they've managed to take that, isn't it? Yeah. I'll, I'm I, I don't, I, I must say, I'm not a big Iron Maiden fan now, but total no. respect for what they do because they're oh, still 100%. doing, they're still playing arenas. And then Eddie comes out and now he's yeah. a chichi mummy or he's a robot, or he's... I'm like, have they thought of that again? They've got... And that's another T-shirt, another hoodie. Big another time, yeah. That's, that, that's marketing and merchandising off ah, the scale. All, all, all our bedrooms were, were covered in Eddie posters at the time. You know, I was in yeah. a cover band that would have played a couple of covered covered badly, of course, of Iron Maiden songs, but it was... We all had those posters, and every yeah. single, you know, they were like a collection. They were like on the ceiling and, and they were quite lurid, some of them. Like, I remember my mom yeah. going, I don't I can't remember what age I was at the time, but she's gone, you're far too young for this. Yeah, <laughs> there was one way sort of murdering, they, they did one way they were murdering Margaret Thatcher. Yeah, I yeah. I remember that one. And I think they got into trouble. That's as political as they as they went. But, we, you know, I remember seeing it going, yeah, you know, great. You absolutely. Know. absolutely. <laughs> it's perfect for teenage boys, wasn't it? It was, oh, yeah, oh, it, had know, everything. it had everything. You know, it was, galloping heavy metal, run to the hills, phantom of the opera, and now here's a monk. Yeah, can't go wrong. You can't go wrong with that stuff. Uh, it's fantastic. <laughs> and now they have Eddie on their airplane that they fly around the world. <laughs> <in>. <laughs> I would, I, I'm, again, not a fan, but I know friends who are, and I'd almost go to show just for the pure spectacle, you know, if. if that's it, hasn't it? Yeah, you've got, it's like Angus Young dressed as a schoolboy in ACDC. I still don't understand that, by the way. Again, not an ACDC. Well, I like, I like the music, but I, but I think I think it's an idea. He got stuck with it, didn't he? Yeah. He, he did it when he was too young to actually play the pubs in Australia. Hmm. So as a double bluff, he wore his school uniform. Oh, and right. it, fast forward 40, over 40 years, and you've got a man in his 60s who still has to dress up as a school boy. <laughs> yeah. all sorts of questions. Psychologically. <laughs> I, wonder, I, wonder, does he come, I wonder, does he come off stage going, right, lads, that's the last time. So <laughs> I think he said it every year since 1980, but... You know, it's money. Come on, cash registers going, isn't it? You know, right. I, I, I presume that he just wears it for work. You know, he's, he's he does not. wear it for work because I saw him get up with the Rolling Stones uh, uh, in London. He got up and did a blues thing with the Stones. And I was at the bar and I came back with a couple of beers. And my wife was, I said, I, she said, Oh, some special guest came on. I said, Who was it? She goes, I don't know. And I <laughs> the guy next to me said, Oh, it's Angus Young. 
And, and she didn't know because he wasn't dressed as a school. Right. <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to have a clue. Yeah. Um, you know, you're, you're well able to name drop there, Mark. So we're going to have to prompt you with, with some of the name drops. You know, I, I don't. Uh, well, like I'm just briefly reading here. You know, I just just chiefly looked at your website while, while we we're talking. You drunk mint tea with Dave Kroll. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Even this is over a 30 year period. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Not all at the same time, presumably, because then no. you, were, you were eating baked beans with Ozzy Osbourne. You shared a stretch limo with Stevie Nicks. <laughs> And you stopped Keith Richards from falling down a flight of stairs. Presumably um, <laughs> not all in the same crazy night. The same um, week. Yeah, no. It's also spaced out. And then after all that, I love how it sums up your work. It just says, he works in a shed. And this right. like, <laughs> At the end of the garden. But I couldn't be bothered walking down there tonight. So <laughs> I'm upstairs. Yeah. Like, I presume, I'm presuming all those characters are not in your shed. Um, but... I don't know where to begin. Like, you know, David Grohl, presumably because of the mint tea. Um, yeah. Well, he, he was very jet lagged and he okay. was, he was in a hotel in Kensington and we, he, he hadn't been, he hadn't slept and we had to do an interview at like 10 in the morning. And he got up he told me he got up at six o'clock cause he couldn't sleep and sat in Hyde Park, which was over the road. And then just sort of sat on the bench, <laughs> sort of wandered back. Um, and we, yeah, we had mint tea. Yeah, that's what I remember. I mean, he wasn't, they weren't big then. They were just starting to take off. They weren't, they weren't big. I mean, now he'd have probably have someone to, you know, pour the tea for <laughs> yeah. him. He poured the tea for me. Now he'd wow. have someone to pour the tea for but him. But he's meant to be the nicest guy in rock. He's a very nice guy. Yeah. He was, he was, yeah. he was a great guy. Really nice. Good fun. And loves music. They absolute, those guys that absolutely love music. So I went to Dublin with him, in fact. Prior to that, the ambassador, the oh, yeah, wow. yeah and wow. we stayed in Bono, the hotel Bono owns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. still going. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's nice. Right. Curtain across the bedroom door. I was impressed by that to sort of keep. Wow. Yeah. Well, like you know, and Grohl, like he came, he came from Nirvana. Like you know, he was. Mm. So well, I interviewed. Was, I interviewed Nirvana, and he was doing oh. all the talking. I was like, "Shut up! You're the drummer." You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. talk to the other guy." Wow. Really, the singer Kurt Cobain didn't want to talk, so he still he was butting in and being helpful. And I was a bit like, "You're a nice guy, mate, but you're the drummer. You know, I need the other guy to to tell." Yeah, me. nobody wants wants to talk. What to did we know? Brother. Little did we know. Little, Little did we know now. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Fantastic. And so, because I am a fan of Nirvana, so Kurt wouldn't engage. No. Well, I don't think he was having a good time. I, do you know what? It was half an hour in a hotel room, you know, yeah. 19, uh, Nevermind was about to come out. Wow. So it's it's hard, literally half an hour in a hotel room and then you went and someone else came in. You know, it's mm. I can't say it was memorable at all, really. But, but that was your job, though, right? You know, you're like... A, but it, I was just about making a living doing it at the time, yeah. I think the magazine I wrote for went bankrupt, but, yeah, that's another story. But So you weren't exactly starstruck then, or were you ever starstruck? But he wasn't star. They weren't stars. So, no, I don't know. You want to, if you do an interview, you want to do the job properly. So you're always anticipating this. Have I got the questions right? Am I, is this okay? But, but you know, I'm quite old, so you can't be start too starstruck, can you? I mean, yeah, yeah they're, they're yeah. musicians at the end of the day. You have to, you have to put up with the quirks and their foibles and their strangeness. But sometimes that's kind of what fuels the, 
the creativity, isn't it? Oh, 100%. 100%. Is, is there any one particular one, I keep pressing you on this point, that, that jumps out or stands out for you over your career that you... you, you well, I think Paul McCartney would have been a, a big one to, to do okay. to interview Paul McCartney. I mean, he was yeah. fine. And Keith Richards was good. He was good value. I mean, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Um, those, I think of two big names, those ones spring to mind. After I've gone, I'll probably think of, some, of, of, of someone else. Yeah, yeah, I'm just intrigued, like, yeah. you know, because I work in a newspaper myself and, you mm. know, the, Eddie Rowley is our, we call him, you know, Rock and Rowley. That's his name. <laughs> well, he, I don't know if, he, I'm not sure if he likes it, but that's what we call him anyway. And, you know, he, he's, we only recently had a 50th anniversary of the paper. So he went, did a piece about all the people he met down through the years. And he's yeah. like, he's like, he's still like, he's, his enthusiasm is still that of a kid. Mm. And he would remember <clears throat> being in rooms with certain people and just being, you know, trying to keep professional as well. Sure. But these, these sure. Do, do hold a fascination, you know? Um, but that, it seems to be, this is your lifetime work. So you've moved on from that, obviously. And now, delved into what you're really interested in well no i mean i still do stuff for magazines when 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 they'll have me you know so it it, it it's all part of the same thing really mm. did you ever do you ever pick up a guitar in your own garage band no i never did my friends all played and and i tried to and i was just like i, I was so, so far behind them already even though they were terrible uh, <laughs> i just couldn't i didn't but i can't i could read music and I, 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 I was taught to play the piano when I was a kid. I don't know I could do it now, but I, 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 I was able to because we had a piano in the house and my dad played, my sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. You, you, you might surprise yourself. Either. I might I do tell, in old I, age. I can tell you yeah. a few things about that, rediscovering uh, lost talents in, yeah. in, in, in middle age. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's exactly. at the time, though. That, that, that's the thing, like that mystique and that whole razzmatazz has disappeared mm. largely today. Like we don't, you know, you don't, like the, the 70s really were the, the zenith. That was it. That's where rock and roll was at its absolute peak. Um, and that was definitely the time to be kind of doing all that. And, and uh, you know, with the likes of Dali and all that kind of stuff and ChatGPT, <laughs> poor old uh, hypnosis would, would be hard pressed for a gig. Oh, yeah. Well, they were hard pressed. It was falling off a cliff, really, by the early 80s. Okay. And, and they chose to wind the company down, sort of 82, 83, because they'd had a tip off that CDs were coming. I found this interesting because I didn't, I didn't get into, have, really know about compact discs till much later in the 80s. But I think they knew through being in the business. But also MTV had launched in America. And a lot of the money that was going into record sleeves was going into making videos. So they they wound down hypnosis and then formed a video company, which is a whole other story, which is sort of addressed in this book. Um, okay, but interesting. It, yeah, that they and, and also savvy. the punk, they, the punk thing though. In in the late seventies, they saw mm -hmm. Jamie Reed's cover for the Sex Pistols, and he'd done it for fifty pence. You know, it, right. it, those fabulous ransom letters and the the colours. Beautiful piece of art. It's as iconic as Dark Side of the Moon. You see it immediately. You know what it is, but of course it's cheap. I mean, the, the Burning Man sleeve for which you were here, and all the other imagery on that cover, it costs something like fifty grand. And so, when you can do a sleeve for fifty pence, it's all five quid. It's you know, it's game over, isn't it? Mm. And like, were, were the record companies flying them around first class, or would they be in with the regular Joes? Paul McCartney would put them on Concord. 
I mean, this is the thing they started to live large, especially Poe, not so much Storm, but Poe very much so. And he at one point moved to Miami. He was doing so much business in America. He bought a house in Miami, which of course was sort of the kind of the drugs, cocaine capital of America at at that time. He sort of got a house on the the intercoastal waterways where there's sort of drug smugglers bombing up and down in in, in speedboats being chased by the DEA. So it was quite a, a hectic time. And I think he sort of, he certainly enjoyed some of the perks of, of, of that lifestyle. And I think that was, so that was sort of, you know, all the decadence of the late 70s, it all starts to pile up, doesn't it, towards the end. And also that some of the bands were really going off the boil as well. They'd been making records and touring for 10 years. So it's cyclical. There's a new generation of groups coming through. And, it, you know, even if the Sex Pistols didn't last, you had The Clash and you had people like Elvis Costello, Paul Weller. Early 80s, you're getting bands like U2, which are coming through, which are just younger still. So, it, I mean, that's just the way rock music is, you know, regardless of hip- hypnosis. So they were seen as old farts. You know, that was the term that was being used in the music press. It's like, well, you, you know, you make covers for Yes and Genesis and 10CC or you know your 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 dinosaurs that that was the kind of vibe at the time very much so and Mm. and presumably then all the up-and-coming bands didn't want to follow in their exactly the the tracks that they made and the album covers that they were doing they didn't want to have anything to do with those no they didn't i mean you know some some younger sort of heavy rock bands did i mean it's a def leopard uh def leopard signed to a massive American management deal and and they're like, great, can we get hypnosis to do our cover? And it was for an album called High and Dry. And the cover they gave them was a, was a cover that hypnosis had designed for Pink Floyd in 1970 for Atom Heart Mother, instead of, which is the one with the cow on the cover. Yeah, yeah. So they had this old cover lying around and they palmed it off on, on, on Def Leppard. Um, we were like, great, amazing, and obviously the cover was ten years, ten years out of date. Well, that arguably, gone again. Arguably, so, so was that leopard, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> wasn't a particularly uh, big, fa- big fan of theirs. You know, is there anything you're working on at the moment, Mark, that we should uh, share with the listeners? Uh, I'm, I'm having, I'm having a rest at the moment. I'm doing some magazine stuff. I'm doing some magazine stuff, and and. Uh, yeah, getting over getting over hypnosis. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to get hypnosis to get, <laughs> to get over it. Yes, <laughs> decompress. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's brilliant stuff. I mean, we could talk all evening, Derek. I'm sure. Yeah, like Derek, you know, arguably a, a bigger music fan. More of a Pink Floyd, yeah, big, big, but more Pink Floyd fan people. for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you mentioned you too there. I, I definitely ticked that box. I suppose as the Dublin man as well. Um, and you know, grunge for you, Neil, would be a big one. Well, that's where right? we yeah. mentioned your banner earlier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, and still, you know, all those, like, arguably all those bands you mentioned, fans or not, their music still stands, you know. Yes, it does. Yeah. I mean, it's like anything, isn't it? The, the, the stuff that comes out of any genre, if you like, or any generation. And, you know, some of it goes on. If it's songwriting's good enough, it, it holds up. You know? Yeah. And, and I'm really going to sound like old fogies now, but I just don't hear hear it anymore you know i yeah. genuinely don't like genuinely don't you know i i don't i don't recognize the music that's that's on i was going to say the radio i was going to say the wireless that's the wireless yeah the, uh, the transistor yeah <laughs> well, we're old men aren't we we're well, old I guess men. We are. let's let's just own it because you know yeah. you know 
who listens to radio? I, I don't know. Or, I don't know if young people do. I don't know that young people it's do. Music, do yeah. It's, it's Spotify yeah. and streaming and whatnot. Yeah. Right? But, mm. you know, that, that possibly is another conversation for another time, just about how bands break through now. Like genuinely good ones, you know, the ones mm. that have the potential to be the next level. Well, you license your music to adverts. You license your music to adverts and TV as quickly as you can, and you get great merchandising, I think. You know, I think if you can be, become a T-shirt band, like Nirvana. Do you remember the Nirvana yeah, t-shirt? Of course. Yeah. And like we were talking about earlier with Iron Maiden, if you can become a t-shirt band, I think that's as well. That that helps. But yeah, I mean, that's why you hear so much pop music and rock music on, on TV now that you never did before. Because it's another revenue stream, you know. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's a really good point, actually. And the, most of the music documentaries that would be new-ish that you might see on Netflix are usually around tragedy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> What's happened to that? It's not really they are. Yeah. Yeah. you know, like, oh, look at this great new up-and-coming band. It's always harking back to somebody who who used to be big or used to be successful and fell on hard times. Yes. Yeah. I mean, that's 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 a, a common thing, isn't it? I mean, you yeah, know, definitely. Well, listen, OK, maybe there's still a chance for a sweet revenge that I was in when I was 14. <laughs> um, <laughs> I like the sound of that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I got kicked yeah. out because the drummer said I couldn't keep time. Um, <laughs> How dare he? <laughs> Who dare, and he was the drummer in fairness, like, but we split over artistic differences. Um, You've got to, haven't you? Yeah. Their loss. Their loss. <laughs> Brilliant to have you on, Mark. Brilliant to have you yeah, on. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, amazing stories. Uh, you, you might come back to us as well. Like, you know, I don't mind. I'll talk to, I'll talk to anyone. I'll, I'm happy, you know. Yeah, yeah. It gets me out of the shed. <laughs> good stuff good stuff <laughs> well 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 hip story listeners go ahead and buy it us and them if you want a, a really good rock and roll read um it's spring yeah go listen or go read yeah. should i say or listen to an audio is it an audio book not yet no don't not yet so. okay no. okay no mm, go read stuff. it then yeah and get all the other works as well great stuff yeah. like you learn a bit of History, as we're all involved in here, but yeah. you know, musical history has its place as well. One of the more enjoyable yeah. aspects of the history that we do as well. It's not so much killing and shooting and bombing yeah. and yeah, uh, <laughs> all the other stuff we usually talk about here. So a nice little break from the from the usual there. Thanks to Mark. Thank, Thank you very much. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. I would like to take just a moment to thank all the historian followers for your support during the first five months of the show both myself and Neil are delighted that so many of you are enjoying what we do here we plan to continue and expand our efforts into the future as you can probably appreciate it does cost to produce the show and we have been funding this ourselves there is a link within the episode where you can make a one-time one euro enjoyment donation and we'd very much welcome uh, any donations at all in fact we will be offering a paid subscription tier more on that later and anyhow if uh, you don't have it don't worry keep tuning in we'll be here <laughs>